we're going to be talking about some really great habits of financial health. And, you know, I, I just thought we need to have people who are practicing what they're speaking. And we have a financial ministry at our church. And um, they help people. You know, you have financial challenges. They can help you starting a business, whatever. Anything to do with finances, they can help. And so we're going to have one of those uh, uh, members of the financial ministry team. He's also an elder at our church. Uh, he works at um, um, A&B. He's an in-house counsel, and his name is James, Jim Miyashiro. So, Jim, why don't you come up and share with us? When Lisa Allen was 16, she started to smoke and drink. She'd already been struggling with obesity for most of her life. In her mid-20s, collection agencies started to hound her to recover thousands of dollars of debt that she had incurred. And her resume indicated that the longest that she had held a job was for less than a year. Lisa Allen was 30 at that time. Now, Lisa is 34. She's lean and vibrant and has the toned legs of a marathon runner. She has no outstanding debt, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, and is in her third year at a graphic design firm. She recently started working on a master's degree and just bought a home. So what caused this stunning transformation? One small shift in her thinking touched off a series of changes that ultimately radiated out to every part of her life. By focusing on one pattern, what is known as a keystone habit, Lisa had taught herself how to reprogram the other routines in her life that affected every part of her life as well. And this compelling story is captured in Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. Now, William James, who is called the father of American psychology, has said that all our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. Indeed, a Duke University study found that over 40% of the actions we perform each day are not actual decisions, but rather habits. It's as though we go on autopilot for much of the day. Have you ever been driving home from work, thinking about something or listening to the radio, such that you didn't actually remember driving at all? It's as though you zoned out for a bit and somehow appeared at home. And that's how powerful habits are. And they can be put to work for good or for bad. Biologically, habits are our brain's way of conserving energy. An efficient brain allows us to stop thinking constantly about basic behaviors like walking or choosing what to eat so that we can dedicate our mental energy to those things that actually require mental effort, like talking to a coworker or reading the newspaper. And most of our decisions that we make each day may seem like the result of well-considered decision-making, but they're not. They are habits. And although one habit by itself may seem unimportant. Over time, what we eat for lunch, what we say to our children as we tuck them in at night, whether we go to the gym to work out or we stay at home and watch TV, all of these things have a huge impact 
on our health, our relationships, our productivity, and ultimately our happiness. And the same is true for our finances. So today we're going to look at eight habits to healthy finances. But before we discuss them, let's pray. Dear God, we know that you care about everything in our life, including our finances. We ask that you would please speak to each one of us. Meet us exactly where we are, and we pray that you would show us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first habit is we need to remember that God is my source. So this is a starting point. We need to remember that God is the source of all our supply. Our source is not a paycheck. It's not a strong economy. Our source is not a nest egg, and it's not our bank accounts. We need to place our hope and our security in something that will never change and that will never be taken away from us. A source that is not subject to stock market fluctuations or business cycles. Now, I use personal capital, which is an online financial tool that measures uh, and monitors my bank accounts, my investments, and my net worth. And about a year ago, I started to realize that it was subtly affecting my emotions. And so, when my investments and my net worth was up, I was a little happier, and I was more likely to splurge on an afternoon Okinawan sweet potato smoothie from Umeke Market, which is really good. I highly recommend it. <laughs> However, when my net worth and my investments were down, I'd be a little bit more irritable, and I'd go home and start turning off all the lights, much to the chagrin of my wife. <laughs> and I realized that it was starting to subtly affect how I was viewing my finances, and I was starting to place my hope and my security in my money. And so I had to remind myself that my hope and my security is in God alone. And quite frankly, I also needed to stop checking personal capital as frequently, which was kind of hard. But As Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, has pointed out, for Jesus, greed is not only love of money, but also excessive anxiety about it. In other words, if we find ourselves constantly worrying about our money, we may actually have a greed issue. We may have an unhealthy relationship with our finances, and we may be placing our hope and our security in our money and not God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Always remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Are we focusing on the gifts rather than the giver? We need to remember to put God and not money in first place in our lives. After all, we are simply stewards of the money that God has given to us. The second habit is, I must make money honestly. Proverbs 15:27 says, The greedy bring ruin to their households. And Proverbs 16:11 says, God cares about honesty in the workplace. Your business is his business. Life is not about trying to make all the money that we can, regardless of the cost. The ends do not justify the means. 
Now, you may think that you're actually good on this one. I don't rob banks. I don't even work at a pachinko parlor on Bethel Street. I'm good. Let's move on to the next habit. But are we really honest in our work? Do we give a full day's work? Or do we come a little late, leave a little early, take a little longer lunch than we've been allotted? And do we sometimes permanently borrow post-it notes and pens to take home? After all, everyone else does it. And by the way, we're not getting paid nearly as much as we really should be. And what about taxes? Do we sometimes fudge just a little because we all know Uncle Sam is already taking way more than he deserves? And let's take it a step further. Work is a form of worship. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Now last year I was chatting with someone who had been working for quite some time as a salesperson for Anheuser-Busch. And he was telling me you know, that it was uh, a steady job that paid reasonably well, but after he started a family, he began to feel God tugging at his heart as to whether this was the right job for him. And in the end, he actually ended up switching jobs because he felt that it did not, it did not honor God and it did not send the right message to his children. So am I saying that Christ's followers are not able to work in the brewing industry? No. What I am saying is for each one of us, we need to seek to worship God with our work. And this habit of making money honestly also applies to our investments. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows. So in our investments, we need to also be living wisely and we need to be good stewards. The Bible has a lot to say about this, but given our limited time, I'll simply provide you with five ways to protect yourself from scams. The first is to stick with what you know when you're investing. There is no secret way to make money. Second, never invest on emotion. Now, sales tactics will try to pressure you and manipulate your emotions. Buy now, limited time offer only. Third, never risk borrowed money. And this is playing with fire, and we'll talk a little later on in this message about the dangers of debt. Fourth, always test the idea with other people. We need to have people that we trust and who will hold us accountable. Fifth and finally, beware of anyone who guarantees you a whole lot of money really fast. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. I'm sure your mom or your dad has already warned you about that. Moving on to the third habit, we need to honor God first. And this deals with tithing, which is giving 10% of our earnings to God. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring to my storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. 
So God is saying to bring 10% of our earnings to his storehouse or the church, and he will bless us abundantly. So aside from wanting God to bless us, why do we tithe? Deuteronomy 14.23 says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So tithing is an act of worship. And just as we honor God with our words and our actions and our time, we also honor God with our money. By giving the first 10%, we are saying, God, we are putting you first in our money. God, you are number one in my life. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor God with everything you own, given the first and the best. Your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. Now, some of you may have already heard my tithing story, but I'd like to share it again. After law school, my plan had been to work in L.A. at an international law firm to help pay down my student loan debt. But I really wanted to work in Hawaii. I mean, after all, my family and most of my friends were here. But the pay at Hawaii firms was only about half of that at mainland firms. And so I really felt torn. And I prayed that God would show me what I should do. Now, part of my analysis and my thought process was financial. After all, I am half Chinese. And so I ran the numbers for the two scenarios to see how much less I would make and how much longer I'd have to work to pay down my student loans if I stayed in Hawaii rather than working on the mainland. Now, when I was trying to model the scenarios, I was faced with the question of whether I should tithe off of my gross income or my net income. And so I did some research, talked to people that I trusted, and I prayed about it. And in the end, I felt that God was telling me that I should be tithing off of my pre-tax gross income. So without getting into the details of the numbers, I went back to my spreadsheet, recalculated so I could tithe off of my, my uh, gross income, and I found that the difference between working on the mainland and working in Hawaii was actually minimal. And I was really surprised. And I felt that God was telling me that if I honored him first with my tithe, that he would make my decision easy for me. And so when I saw that there was very little difference between the two, I truly felt that God had opened the door for me to work in Hawaii. And I was reminded of Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's not even the best part. A couple of weeks after I made my decision to stay and work in Hawaii, I met my wife, Susan. And to me, this truly is the promise of Malachi 3.10 in action. And again, it says, Bring to my storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. And that's exactly what God did. So one aside before we move on to the next habit. So God is saying that we should give 10%. Does that mean that the remaining 90% we're free to do whatever we want with it? No. As we talked about in prior weeks, God has called us to be a good steward over 100% of what he has given to us. So moving on to the fourth habit. We need to save money wisely. 
So John D. Rockefeller, as some of you may already know, was a successful businessman and philanthropist in the 19th century. He was the richest man of his day, and was actually the first American to be valued at over a billion dollars. Now he was asked the secret to his financial success, and his response was the 80-10-10 principle. He tithed the first 10 percent, he saved the next 10 percent, and he lived on the remaining 80 percent. But so many of us do the reverse. We spend whatever we feel like spending without tracking it. And then, in the end, we try to tithe and save, but find that there really isn't much left over. And did you know that God actually says that one way to measure our financial IQ is to see how much we've saved? Proverbs twenty-one twenty says, "The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets." So we need to make sure that we have emergency savings. Otherwise, we get to the end of the month, we have no money left, and we're not exactly sure where it went. And we all know from experience that unplanned expenses are inevitable. Whether it's replacing our timing belt in our car or paying the vet bills for Fluffy's urinary tract infection, unplanned expenses happen constantly. Sadly, a Bankrate.com survey from last month found that only 22% of Americans have a rainy day fund that will cover six months of their expenses. And worse, almost 30% of Americans have absolutely no emergency savings, and this is a five-year high. A recent American Psychological Association survey identified the number one source of stress, which Probably is not going to be a surprise since we're talking about finances, and it's finances, well ahead of concerns over family, work, and health. And topping the financial anxiety list is how to pay for unplanned expenses. And this concern held true for both the affluent and lower-income households. So why is it so difficult for us to save money, especially for us Americans? I think a big part of this deals with how popular culture teaches us that we need to live in the now, carpe diem. But God has called us to live wisely and to be good stewards of our money. So we need to get into the habit of saving money. And so I'll leave you with one practical suggestion to saving money. To the extent possible, we need to automate our savings. And this is similar to what happens when we have the automatic deduction from our paycheck into our 401k or 403b retirement plan. For many of us, if we do not automate our savings, it will hardly ever get done because, quite simply, we're so busy living our lives. Let's move on to the fifth habit. We need to keep good records, and this relates to the principle of accounting. Now, in accounting, there are three major financial statements. There's the income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flows, and they essentially get at four things: what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it's going. And so, again, we need to make sure that we are tracking our money. So, for so many of us, it seems like we're working so hard, 
But at the end of the day, we don't have much to show for our toil. And it seems like our credit card bills are only getting larger. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Some people say that money talks, but this is not always the case. Oftentimes, if we're not keeping track of it, simply walks away quietly without telling us where it's going. And this is why we need to keep good records. In fact, Proverbs 23.5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. And I know a lot of us can relate to that. Fortunately, there are a number of good ways to keep track of our money. And one is mint.com, which probably a lot of you know or some of you may even use. And it's an online tool that allows us to monitor and track our income and our expenses. But if you're like me and you have some privacy and security concerns, um, you can always do it the old-fashioned way, which is simply putting pen to paper. So my wife and I will jot down our expenses at the end of each day, and then at the end of the month, we'll tally it. And it shows us, you know, it's a good way to see where our money is going. And just like we check our cholesterol level and our blood pressure to monitor our physical health, we also need to be checking our financial numbers to, n- to monitor our financial health. And this brings to mind Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So tracking our money is not only a good in- way to inventory our finances, but it's also a good way to inventory our heart. So for example, if we notice that we're spending a disproportionate amount of our money on, say, dining out and our own clothing, this may actually be a warning sign to us that we are focused too much on our own consumption and maybe focusing too much on ourselves. Moving on to the sixth habit. I must plan my spending. Now, a plan for spending is called a budget. And I know a lot of us here, myself included, don't really like that word. But Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So Proverbs was compiled by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And we're next going to turn to another wise man, Rob Gronkowski. So in his recent autobiography, Gronk, the New England Patriots tight end, who is notorious for living large and specializing in partying, has claimed that he has not spent a dime of the money that he's made from playing football, which is well over $10 million over five seasons. Instead, he lives only, according to him, only on the money that he's made from his endorsements. In fact, in his autobiography, he writes that he hasn't blown it on any big money, expensive cars, expensive jewelry or tattoos, And, get this, he still wears his favorite pair of jeans from high school. So we all need to live, apparently, a little bit more like Gronk. We do need to live below our means. And when I was first starting out, a senior partner at my firm actually gave me that piece of advice. And I remember chuckling, because I thought it was so ironic, because this senior partner was actually well-known for living a lavish life of luxury. He had a beautiful oceanfront home in Kahala, fast cars, huge yacht. 
And then I stopped and I thought about it, and I was like, well, maybe this is the reason why he's now able to live large. I thought about it further, I'm like, well, it probably is that, and the fact that he married rich, which brings me to my next habit, marry rich. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. It's too, it's too late for a lot of us, myself included, so we'll stick with this habit. So seriously, though, what do we do when we get a raise or a bonus? And what do we do when we get a tax refund? Do we immediately go out and spend it on something so that we can reward ourselves? I think consumer therapy is all too common. We spend money when we're happy so we can celebrate. We spend money when we're sad so that we can console ourselves. We even spend money when we're bored because we have nothing else to do. And I think we really need to distinguish between things that are nice to have and things that are need to have. Because too often we mistake things that are nice to have as need to have. And I think if we dig beneath the surface, we'll find that this is actually a spiritual issue. It's a character issue. What we spend our money on is a reflection of our heart. And this is why God cares so deeply about our finances and what we spend our money on. I have a recent story of how God showed me that, that He does care about how we spend our money. So last year, I bought a new car, and uh, a few months ago, I was driving home from work. I think we know where this is headed. Um, I was on Alakia Street, minding my own business, when out of the corner of my eye, I see an SUV speeding and starting to veer into my lane, right into me. Now, I tried to move, but I was already in the extreme right lane, so all I could do was honk my horn so I, to get his attention. So I honked my horn, and as I did, I could feel my wheels scraping the curb. So finally, after I had slowed down, I turned to see you know, what had happened. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe the driver will be somewhat apologetic, or maybe he might be a little surprised because maybe he didn't realize that he was about to hit me. So I turn, the driver rolls down the window, cusses me out, and then gives me the one-finger salute. And it was Neil Murakami. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, Neil. I had to say that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Neil would never do that. Um, so, after the, so actually, we'll skip over the next few minutes because that would be fodder for a completely different message. Um, after the dust had settled, this is where I was. Uh, one of my rims had been badly scraped. And so my initial reaction was, you know what, I'm going I'm to change it. I'm going to have it replaced because this is going to detract from my shiny new car. You know, and by the way, I don't want this to be a constant reminder to me of this terrible incident. But as I thought about it further and as I prayed about it, I felt God challenging me. I felt God telling me that He did not want me to idolize my car or any of my possessions. And soon after, I actually began to feel a sense of freedom. No longer did I have to feel like I needed to protect my baby, make sure that it never got scraped or dinged. And that's, that Sunday, Pastor Chris Shinnick was sharing about wearing compassion. And I felt God nudging me and showing me that this was a way that I could wear compassion. That it would be a constant reminder, but it would be a reminder to me 
that people are imperfect and that I need to demonstrate love and compassion to people, to all people, even to unreasonable people who insist on flipping you the birdie as they nearly crash into you. But this is how God showed me in a very tangible way that he does care deeply about how we spend our money. The seventh habit is I need to set up a repayment plan to eliminate debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. So debt places us in financial bondage. When we borrow money, do we see ourselves becoming enslaved to the bank, to Banco or First Hawaiian? Dave is not here, so I can talk about <laughs> Banco. And what about our credit card bills? When we don't pay off our bills in full, but we have a continuing balance each month, do we see ourselves as becoming enslaved to Visa or MasterCard? Um, actually, last night I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about it and it finally dawned on me. It's kind of funny and ironic that MasterCard is called Master. At least it's truth in advertising. They're telling us that they're going to be our master. But anyway, I thought that was funny. <laughs> the financial services industry will do everything it can to get us to spend more money. So credit cards make it easy for us to shop without thinking or understanding the consequences. In fact, the study showed that we are willing to spend double for an amount, double for an item if we're using our credit card. There is less pain when we pay with our credit card because we don't associate it with real money. And so you can just imagine for those of us who are using our phones to pay with Apple Pay, how dangerous and how easy it is for us to rack up our debt without even thinking about it. And the credit card companies will do everything it can to tempt us to spend more money. They offer us cash back, reward points. So we start thinking spending money is actually a good thing. So maybe being in debt is also a good thing. But Romans 13.8 says, let no debt remain outstanding. So we need to be actively paying down and avoiding debt. And I know that debt is a really difficult issue for a lot of us. And so, as Mark mentioned, we do have a resource here at KCF. It's the Personal Finance Ministry, and it's comprised of Michael and Carrie Sasaki, Danny Chan, and myself. So if this is something that you are dealing with, please you know, speak to one of us. The eighth and final habit is to commit all to God. And so we've come full circle back to the first habit, because if we understand that God is the source of our supply, it's that much easier for us to commit all to Him. Committing our financial resources to God is a form of worship. And it's also a form of freedom, because we avoid the idolatry and the bondage to money. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will succeed. God is promising us that if we commit all to him, that he will take care of us. And for those of us struggling with debt, debt is not the real problem. Debt is merely a symptom of a deeper underlying issue. Debt is a symptom of dissatisfaction and lack of contentment. I have to have more to be happy. I have to have more to feel secure. 
I have to have more to have people have more people like me. But none of this is true. Having more money will not make us happy. It will not make us feel secure, and it will not make more people like us. In fact, a survey from last month indicated that even millionaires worry about financial security. Almost half of all millionaires surveyed were worried about how, whether or not they had enough money to last them through retirement. Interesting, interestingly enough, though, the same survey found that the financial insecurity fears faded. When investors had an up-to-date investment plan, and for Christ followers, we have the ultimate investment plan that guarantees us financial security if we commit all our future and our finances to Him. Matthew six thirty-one thirty-four says, "So don't worry about these things, saying, 'What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear?'" These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you the He He will give you everything that you need. So we don't need to worry about the stock market, about the business cycle, about interest rates. We can trust that God, our Father, who loves us. Will take care of us and will provide for us. So we've now covered eight habits to healthy finances, and these can serve as keystone habits for you. So to recap, the habits are: remember that God is my source. I must make money honestly. Honor God first. Save money wisely. Keep good records. I must plan my spending. I need to set up a repayment plan to eliminate debt, and commit all to God. Success does not depend on getting every single thing right, but rather identifying a few key priorities, these keystone habits, and fashioning them into powerful levers that can transform your entire life. Stephen Covey, in his book *Seven Habits of Highly Effective People*, has said. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Similarly, Pastor Andy Stanley has talked about fast-forwarding into our future to see where our current actions will lead us. What we do each day will eventually lead us. To our destiny. So let's return to Lisa Allen, the woman that we talked about in the beginning of this message. She was able to replace her bad habits with good habits, and she was able to harness the power of habits to drastically improve her life. That's Lisa Allen's story. What is your story? Now you may be facing mounting debt. You may have no money for a rainy day, let alone retirement, and you may be worried about how you're going to pay for the bills this month. But God wants to transform our entire life, and that includes our finances. Can you imagine yourself not having any debt, 
having a nine-month rainy day fund, having a healthy retirement fund and college fund for your kids, owning your home free and clear. Better yet, can you imagine yourself never having to worry about finances again because you've committed it all to God and having the freedom to give generously to those who are in need? This is possible. We've covered eight habits that can serve as your keystone habits that have the potential to restore and enhance your financial health. What will be the next chapter of your life story? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, for so many of us, we know that there are certain habits in our financial lives that we need to change. Strengthen us to put in place the keystone habits that will free us from the stranglehold of debt to become good stewards of the resources that you've blessed us with and to finally experience the financial peace and freedom that you've created us for. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Wise words. Thank you so much. You know, uh, there, is, uh, there are many resources. And, uh, you know, thank you for letting us know about the financial team here. Please take advantage. Um, please, you can go up and see Jim afterwards. And let him know. Uh, maybe you guys exchange emails and get in touch. Um, and then another great resource is uh, in your bulletin on the back where the announcements are, there's also a small group listing. If you'd like to be a part of a small group, uh, there's a number of small groups starting going through some uh, the materials that we're doing here with financial fitness. And so you can always jump in at any time. Just get a hold of uh, the person there in the listing. Well, um, thank you so much for coming, especially if you're a visitor with us. We loved having you. We'd love for you to make this to your home church if you don't already have a home church. And uh, we uh, had a, a great Sunday. Thank you so much. Please stick around. You know, we have the refreshments in the back and uh, get to know somebody and meet somebody on the way out. Anyway, have a great uh, Sunday today in the Lord. Aloha.